to the fathers here. Happy Father's Day. I don't think that was mentioned. I don't plan to preach a Father's Day message. I have one from way back, but I couldn't find it. I'm sure it's around somewhere. But uh, so you're going to, I'm going to let you off this year. But I probably will pick on you just a time or two throughout the message. So you can get ready for that. Over the past several weeks, we have become aware again of the destruction from large storm systems. If, you're, if you follow the news, you probably have seen the flooding in the Northwest. We've seen the destruction that has come with that. And I don't know how much you followed the storms that went across the state of Ohio this past week, but that caused for much damage, many power outages. And we remember, too, the tornado in the Midwest this past December, many miles of destruction and loss of life. To experience a natural storm such as these can be a scary thing for anyone, even for those who believe in God. My uh, sister and her family spent several hours in the basement this week when that storm went across Ohio. But they were safe and we're thankful for that. Well, many years ago, many years ago, Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And a storm came up that was so severe the disciples thought they were going to die. And for good reasons. Because from what I have read, the Sea of Galilee has a history of terrible storms. Mostly because the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And what happens is cold air and warm air meet in this natural basin, which is the perfect environment for a storm to quickly develop. And so the Sea of Galilee can go from a beautiful day to a very stormy day in just a very short time. The title for my message today is Lessons from the Sea, Lessons from the Storm on Galilee. Now the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the story of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I will begin this morning by reading these accounts, and then we will look at life lessons that can be learned from this story. And so I invite you to Matthew chapter 8. We'll begin in Matthew. Matthew 8, verse 23 through 27.
Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the seas obey him? Turn over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, and it, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. Now it happened on a certain day, that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And so we see the situation after a long day of ministry, which probably included confrontation with religious leaders, and teaching among huge crowds of people, Jesus and his disciples are exhausted. And so, to get away from the crowds for some well-needed rest, they all went down to the lake, and they got into a boat. And Jesus, he said, let us cross over to the other side. And so, they launched out. And so the disciples, they hoisted the sail, and they began the trip across the lake. And so the Sea of Galilee is said to be about 13 miles long and five miles wide. And so if the wind was in your favor, this five miles would have taken about an hour on a boat. 
And as you notice, Jesus, he's wore out, he's tired, he's weary, he promptly falls asleep. And then suddenly, out of nowhere and without warning, they were in a midst of a terrible storm. Matthew uses the word tempest, which literally means earthquake. Luke, in his story, he writes that the ship was full of water. Matthew wrote in his account, the waves were beating the ship, and it was full of water. Matthew, in his account, said the waves even covered the ship. No matter how it was said, they all agreed this was a serious storm. The ship was full of water, the waves were as high as the boat, and unless something changes quickly, they were headed to the bottom of the lake. And so what lessons can we learn from this story? Well, I have five for us to consider today. But the very first lesson is storms will come. And it's interesting how Luke begins his account. It's kind of a casual way. He says, now it happened on a certain day. You know, it was an ordinary day. They got up that morning, they ate their breakfast, they drank their coffee, uh, another day of ministry. And on this certain day, Luke writes, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Just, just an ordinary day, an or, ordinary trip across the lake. Nothing special. However, as they sailed, a windstorm came down on the lake. Quickly it happened, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. You see, they went from having a typical day to a non-typical day in a very short time. They went from having a relaxing ride across the lake to being in jeopardy. And I believe there is a lesson here in the suddenness of the storm. Storms will come in life. The day may begin as a typical day. The lake is calm. The wind is in our favor. And out of nowhere, a storm comes up, and life itself is put at peril. Lesson number two, why the storms? Why the storms? You know, some of life's storms can be brought on by our own foolishness. Bad decisions and disobedience often bring unrest and turmoil into our lives. I thought of Jonah. You know, Jonah tried running from God, and he brought a storm on himself. And in doing so, he also brought a storm on others. Bad decision, disobedience there in Jonah's life. And you remember how that story goes at Jonah's word, the sailors threw him out into the storm. They threw him out into the storm. And the storm for the sailors ceased. 
but Jonah's storm was far from over. Jonah's storm was brought on because of his own disobedience. The disciples were in the midst of the storm, not because they had disobeyed, but because they had obeyed. Jesus had said, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. The disciples were being obedient. They were doing what Jesus commanded them to do. You see, Jesus had a lesson for the disciples. And even though the disciples had no way of knowing it during those terrible moments, the storm was a divinely appointed instrument to teach them about God and his power in their lives. The book of James tells us that the purpose of, of a trial, let me start over. The book of James tells us that the purpose of a trial is to deepen our faith. James 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Why the storm? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Apparently, we lack. <laughs> and God needs to help us in that. But you know, without difficulties without trials, without stress, and even failures, we will never grow to be what the Lord wants us to become. The storms of life have a purpose. However, in the heat of the moment, the pur purpose is often obscured. Lesson number three, the midst of the storm. We can picture the disciples, they're soaked to the skin, they're shivering, terrified to the core, straining to keep the boat headed into the wind. They just knew that that next wave would take them to the bottom. And do keep in mind, these men are experienced sailors. This was not their first trip across the uh, this was not their first trip across Galilee. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use a form of the word perish. What they said differs slightly from one account to the other. But one thing is clear in all three accounts is the fact that they all thought they were going to die. They thought this is it. They all agreed on that. They all said it just a little different, but they agreed that, that this was it. Matthew records that the disciples cry out, Lord, save us, we are perishing, which seems to be a cry for help. In Mark, the record is that they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing, which seems to be a rebuke of Jesus' lack of action. Luke records that the disciples in their distress say, Master, Master, we are perishing which seems to be a statement 
of immediate doom. We're finished. It's over. We're done. You see, in the midst of the storm, faith was paralyzed by fear. And it's been said, and I agree, that faith or fear is like an anchor. It stops us dead in the water. Why? Because fear will always maximize the problem and minimize God's provision and presence. All the disciples needed for this situation was with them in the boat. But in the heat of the moment, the disciples forgot who Jesus is. They forgot about his power. They forgot about the miracles. That is the nature of fear. When fear takes over, the mind goes blank. We forget who Jesus is. We forget his power. We forget his promises. To the disciples, Jesus seemed unaware or unconcerned for their plight. He was sleeping, sleeping on a pillow. And I'm sure they may have wondered, does Jesus know about this storm? Does he care that we are about to die? The truth is, Jesus was right there with his disciples facing the same storm. As we face the storms of life, like the disciples, we too may feel alone, and we may wonder, does Jesus care? Does anyone care about this situation that has taken me down? I thought of the song, Does Jesus Care? And each verse of that hymn begins with a question. Verse 1 says, does Jesus care when my heart is pain too deeply for mirth or song? Verse 2, does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? Verse 3, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? Verse 4, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And the chorus goes, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. So, yes, Jesus cares. But yet, for the disciples, Jesus was asleep. Lesson number four, the cry in the storm. You could turn in your Bibles, if you like, to Psalm 107. I'd like to read 23 through 30. But Psalm 107, the first verse of the Psalms begins with, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That's how the psalm begins, but we'll pick up reading down in verse 23 and read through verse 30. Again, the lesson we're looking at is the cry in the storm. 
They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonder in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? <laughs> yeah, it sure enough is. Verse 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their troubles and he brings them out of their distress. Verse 29, he calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Notice again verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles, and he brings them out of their distresses. To cry out is to assume there is a God who cares, and who not only cares, but also acts. Verse 29, he calms the storm. So that his waves, so that its waves are still. To cry out to Jesus was the disciples' only hope. One detail that is left out in all three Gospels is how long the disciples fought the storm before they cried out to Jesus. That is not recorded. Fathers, that is not recorded. I have a feeling, being a guy, the disciples thought they could handle this storm. Call on Jesus for help? No way. First of all, he's sleeping on a pillow like he has, like he doesn't have a care in the world. And second, He's not a sailor, he's a carpenter by trade. The Bible says in the last verse of Jonah chapter 1 that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Why so long? I don't know this for sure, but I believe it was because Jonah was a typical guy. Jonah fought the guts of the fish for three days and three nights to get to chapter 2, verse 1. This is your Father's Day sermon. Jonah 2, verse 1 says, Then... You see, then, three days and three nights, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou hearest my voice. You know, to cry out to God was Jonah's only hope. To cry out to Jesus was the disciples' only hope. To cry out to Jesus is our only hope. Psalm 34, 
verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Today, June 19, 2022, Jesus is still in the midst of the storm. Jesus is still in the boat, and Jesus is still aware of the storm. How long will you fight the storm? How long will I fight the storm till I cry out to Jesus? Let's learn a lesson from Jonah and a lesson from the disciples. Cry out to God. Lesson number five is simply Jesus calms the storm. At the cry of the disciples, Jesus rouses himself. He rebukes the waves and the winds, and there is an immediate calm. Jesus does care, and not only does he care, he acts and he saves. Mark wrote, Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Mark records, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Luke says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. I find it so interesting how easily Jesus overcame the storm. With only a word of command. You know, you think of the disciples and all the energy, the sweating, the toil. I mean, they were putting everything into it. With only a word of command, the forces of nature are brought into subjection. Jesus spoke, and it was done. And think, too, how effectively it was done. It says there was a great calm. And I believe we know that normally for a large body of water to calm down after a great storm, a hurricane, or whatever, it takes considerable time for the waves to subside, even though the wind has long ceased. This storm did not merely cease, and the winds gradually returned to normal. He spoke, and it was as if there never had been a storm. Luke tells us that Jesus turns from rebuking the storm to rebuke his disciples, saying, Where is your faith? Jesus is asking, Why are you so fearful and living as if you have no faith? The storm did not concern Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even mention anything about it. It would have been an opportunity for him to, you know, have ribbed the disciples a little. You know, wow, wow, fellas, that, that was one terrible storm. You know, it's good you had me along. But, but no, 
That, that's not the attitude. Jesus is not concerned so much about the storm. However, he is concerned about their unbelief and lack of faith. Although their fear was natural enough, they really had no excuse for their lack of faith. Because when you think about it, who witnessed the manifestation of Christ's power more than the disciples? In fact, they probably had just seen that that very day, just, just hours before. Yet, in the middle of a great crisis, fear took over and faith departed. And so if you can imagine now the disciples, the storm is over, there is this great calm, they are alive, and I can see them in the boat with dazed looks, with chalky white faces, and they're just trying to process what had just happened. You see, first the disciples are terrorized by the wind and the waves. Now the disciples are terrorized by the intervention of Jesus. The fear of the storm was replaced by a new fear. In the account of Mark, there is two different Greek words to describe the fear of the disciples. When the storm came upon them, Mark says, they were afraid. But after Jesus stilled the winds and the waves, he says, they feared exceedingly. This new fear at what Jesus had done in calming the storm was exceedingly greater than the fear they experienced in the storm. The storm fear was a scared fear. They were scared. They thought they were going to die. That's a natural fear. The calming of the storm fear was a reverent fear, a fear of reverence. The fear of the storm overtook their faith. The fear of Jesus' intervention increased their faith. And I can see the disciples, they're all struck at this new revelation of the power of their master. And I like how they say it. They said, who can this be? Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? What a testimony. Well, in conclusion, today, where is your faith? Where is your faith? The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In the lives of the disciples, the absence or presence of faith was revealed in the traumas of life. And so it is with us. In the storms of life, where is your faith? It has been said, when we face a storm in life, we face a threefold challenge. And that threefold challenge is to work, to worry, 
or to trust. When difficulties come in life, we can choose to worry. However, we know that nothing changes with worry. When faced with adversity, we can try harder and harder until there is nothing more we can do. Or when faced with a storm, we can trust our Heavenly Father. Trust is simply casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. We'll call for a closing song.